the Far Post podcast. We are back with yet another Women's World Cup preview and this time we move on to Group C. So this is the group with Spain in it, Costa Rica, Zambia and Japan. So it's an interesting group on paper but unfortunately, fortunately, because Spain is in this group, they are going to dominate the headlines for a whole host of reasons. So naturally, we have to talk about them. But before we crack into that, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this group group C preview, rather, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian Wilkes, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, and football for oh my goodness, football reporter for DAZN, Alexi Bassetta. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yes, no, thank you for having me on. We're stoked to talk to you about this Spanish team, about the group as a whole, but unfortunately we have to start with the the story that has basically dominated this Spanish women's team for a little while now. So the too-long-didn't-read version of this situation with the 15 players, because I'm sure... Our listeners will kind of know bits and pieces, but can you give give us the condensed version of what has been going on with these 15 players and the Spanish women's national team? Yeah, that's the, the condensed version is is the no, but I, yeah, as I mentioned earlier as well, it's it's dragged on for so long, but there's actually been no advancements on, on either side. Um obviously the biggest advancement has been now that you see a couple of the players come back uh, to the national team ahead of the World Cup. But uh, outside of that, there's genuinely been no advancement. So um, Jorge Villa, obviously national team coach, has been power and power. I say that sounds very, um, <laughs> that gives him a lot of power. And um, he's been the, the head coach as of the 2015 World Cup. Um, so he's been there for eight years now. Um, Spain has never reached a semi-final of a major tournament, has never gone past quarterfinals in those eight years. And having the players that they have, I think we all know the the power that they have, knowing the the Barcelona squads, the Real Madrid squads, and and all the you know the the really good players that Spain has ultimately. Um, so he, you know, in any other context, that manager would have been gone by now, especially in in a men's football context. Um, no manager would have have gotten eight years without any trophy. Um, having the players that they have, having the domestic power that these players um kind of bring to the national team. So that's problem one. <laughs> Problem one is is the fact that the manager is is not adequate enough essentially to to kind of you know manage these these top elite players to to glory essentially on the national team, and the other half of it is the federation that doesn't provide the women's team with with adequate um, training with you know with the staff. I think was was the biggest thing that the players kind of wanted to say. I think it was Mapi Leon from Barcelona that was like. I go to the national team and I get nothing out of it because it's so much less than what I do at my club. So the training sessions, the gym sessions, the quality of, of the football, the the management from the manager is just much less than what she gets at club. So what's the point of her going to the national team if she's not getting anything out of it? And so that's kind of the, the status that that is the national team. And that's what the, the 15 players were essentially asking for. They were demanding for they want to be in a position to compete for a World Cup, to win the Euros, to not get, you know, not have an awful group stage and, and go out um, first round of the knockout round. So they were demanding, essentially, it wasn't specific to Jorge Villa, it wasn't specific to anything. It was just them demanding better resources and better standards at the national team to actually be able to compete. And that was the the principle of the letter um, 
obviously 15 players and those 15 players did not include Alexia Poteas because she was injured at the time. So she had no reason to, to sign that letter essentially, but she did show her support. Um, same with Irene Paredes. Irene Paredes was the captain of the national team at the time, didn't sign the 15, um, the letter that the 15 sent, but she did show her support for it um, as much as she could essentially. Um, and now that's been dragged on for what about since the Euros essentially. Um, so almost about a year now and there has been no advancements. I do have to say that Jorge Vila is his own boss at the Federation. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, he is literally his his own boss. He is the, the technical manager of, of the entire um, woman's side. So if there is one person that wants to get rid of him, it's himself, which wouldn't really happen. And then outside of that is the Federation president, which he's good friends with. So that's not going to happen either. Um, and the Federation has obviously stood with Jorge Vida for, for most of it. And you see every press conference and he has that smug look on, ex- on his face, knowing that he's essentially untouchable, which is the most infuriating bit. But um, yeah, essentially, that's what's that's more or less what has happened. And now there has been Aitana Bonmadi, Mariona and Ona Batye that have come back um, to the national team from those 15. And if we want to include Alexia Podeas in that as well. But that's essentially... That's what's been happening. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Alex, because we've seen in the last week or so that there are some players who were part of that original 15 who have come back to the national team, which you'd think is going to cause some tension, not just in the Spanish side, but also potentially at Barcelona, where some of their teammates like Marpi Leon have stepped away, yet you've got Aitana Banmati who's sort of come back. What do you put that down to from those players returning out of their boycott to represent the national team? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely the question that everyone wants to answer to, especially. I think when you look at the Barcelona perspective, um, there was a, a couple of players that were called up to the national team on the absence of the 15, like uh, Salma Payawelo, for example, or um, Laia Colina as well, that were going to the national team. So that question has, has been put since, you know, the 15 have been out in those two have been going to the national teams like what's the dressing room like you know you, you're standing for something and then you know two of your your close teammates from club are essentially going to to something that you don't stand for but now you know the question has turned and I don't I would kind of give her the excuse of football I think she's had an outstanding season and, and if she does want to essentially go for the Ballon d'Or for example she does need that World Cup under her belt um on about it I I'm not entirely sure what what her reason would be to come back uh, Mariona as well Mariona has been a shocking one for me essentially I think she she was quite outspoken and I know internally at the federation she was almost vetoed um from the national team so I think Mariona has had a, a big word on on this whole situation so I'm quite curious to know as well um what was her reasoning to to come back does it just show how fractured this entire group of players is then Alex that you you've got them breaking rank amongst us and then they're breaking rank amongst each other like it it just seems like a mess and I know there's obviously things like there's the context of Spain having so many fantastic youth players not many teams in the world would be in the position to to draw upon some actual quality but is, is it just a really fractured dynamic generally in Spanish football at the moment just Spanish football. yeah I think yeah no but in general I think it's it's definitely quite interesting because you see you know, the the biggest thing, for example, Ivana Andres, um, she's now the, the Spanish captain. 
um, she's Real Madrid captain and you know she wouldn't be playing on the national team if the 15 were still there she wouldn't be near that captain's band if the 15 weren't there and you have her talking about it as if you know she is the Spanish captain and you know she she knows well that she wouldn't be in that position if the 15 were there and Jorge Villa as well talks about it as you know he's happy with the players that he has and he's chosen you know, the players that he has because they're the best players. And, you know, that's just not true because if the 15 were there, you know, the 15 have been dominating the, the national team. I think that's why it's so, it impacts so much that the 15 weren't there because you know that they've been, you know, in the starting 11s, they've been on every single um, squad announcement so far. So it's it's quite it's quite interesting what, what you say about the, you know, the, the rankings between the players because the players that are on the national team, you know, some of them wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the 15. And it does get a bit a bit spicy, especially when you look at the Real Madrid-Barcelona dynamic um, in the league, because it is essentially, you know, the 15 are dominated mm-hmm. by Barcelona players. And the players that have now gone to the national team are dominated by Real Madrid players. It was, I think one of the stats was, it was the first time in X amount of years that there was more than five Real Madrid players on the pitch. I'm just saying a number, but it was something ridiculous like that. And it's quite obvious that the power ranking there is 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 quite evident. So I would be I would love to be a fly on the wall on the on the national team right now. Just to follow up on that, is how big is the gap like between the players that are the, to give context to our listeners who may be familiar with a Pateas, for example, but might not know the sort of twentieth best Spanish player that's coming in. How big is the gap between some of these players that we're in the 15 or aren't going to be there compared to some of the ones that have come up. Because let's say you look at other national teams and it might be disastrous. You look at the US, if they lose a couple, they've got very good, you know, players that can come in. But what what is the gap and what does it mean in terms of your, your chances of doing well at this World Cup? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a good question. I think, sadly, in Spain, it depends on what club you play for is the standard of, of football that you're going to be playing at. Um, so obviously, you know, Barcelona are the best in Spain, not because, you know, they are the best in Spain, essentially, but the resources and the quality of players that they have and the quality of football that they're playing is just much higher than the rest. And then you have, you know, Real Madrid trying to catch up to that. But the way that's a whole nother podcast there. Um, the way Real Madrid are run isn't necessarily up to the standard that Barcelona have. So that drop off between Barcelona players and Real Madrid players is already quite there, but not as big as, for example, if you have someone from you know, Sevilla, for example, which is a great, Imna Gavarro, for example, she plays for striker for Sevilla, absolutely amazing player. But you look at the players that she has around her, and you're not, they're not going to be up to the standard of, say, uh, Claudia Pina, for example. You know, Imna Gavarro is not going to have a Claudia Pina feeding her the ball. She's going to have someone from a Real Sociedad, from a Levante, for example. And I'm not saying it, it's much less, but you look at, it's, it's not a matter of the players, I think, specifically. It's we go back again to the resources and the standard of what the club has and that, that quality of you just look at the intensity of the training from a Barcelona player, Real Madrid player, compared to, you know, a lower table um, player from the league. And it just makes the entire difference. And when you're going up against, you know, you know some of the best in the world in a World Cup, the standard of, of training that you're going to have in the Spanish league will not be up to the standard of training that you need in the World Cup. And if the Federation isn't prioritizing a higher standard for these players to kind of live up to, then it's just that's where the, the difference of, of player quality and, and everything comes into place. This is also fascinating and I feel like we could keep picking your brain about it for ages and ages. Um, my quick question about it, I guess it sounds very, like as you mentioned there, it's very much tangled up in what's happening in the club landscape in 
Spain and there's obviously a lot of parallels as well with what's happened with France recently, which I'm sure a lot of people have made those comparisons. Um, I guess what is the the vibe for yeah people's expectations coming into this World Cup because it's quite a heavy it's such a heavy kind of environment and story and I know that like for example the Euros were a source of disappointment in terms of performance and similarly with France like there's I'm interested in that aspect of it as well and if it's a generation kind of framing as well um, if this is the group that can do this or if there is the talent coming through that there isn't necessarily that urgency there to do it with these 15 players that, well, 15 minus three who have stepped back. Sorry, that was a bit of a garbled question, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's an interesting one. I think the, the question that we ask in Spain quite a lot is, would you rather Spain win the World Cup or would you rather Jorge Villa leave? <laughs> like, what, what is, what is it? what is it that you want essentially and you know it is it's such a it's such a devastating situation that the whole the whole thing of Spanish Federation that it's you know you have to contemplate whether you want your your team to win the World Cup or whether you want the the manager to to leave and kind of you know put all this to rest and it is it is quite annoying in the sense of you you don't know what to pick so I, I think people are kind of torn at the World Cup, essentially. It's like, do you want Spain to do well? And do you want Jorge Vila to do well? Or do you want them to, to do bad? And essentially, maybe that would be the, the one thing that gets him, you know, off the team. And it's it's definitely a hard one to swallow. And you look at, especially when you look at the group, you know, we said at the start of the episode, they're going to be dominating the group. It's just, it's quite evident when you look at, again, we're, we're talking about the, the standard of, of football and, and the intensity and the eliteness and Spain is going to have that group essentially dominated and when the group came out you, you kind of there was a bit of disappointment um I think from a Spanish perspective it's just like you know this guy could not be having his life made easier essentially um you know he's that he's also that person the Spanish uh, Spain beat the U.S. um in a friendly and the U.S. were essentially you know a bit diluted not going through the best time and Spain beat them without the 15 and I think he has said that in every single press conference since that happened because that is the one thing that he's levering on and you know essentially he's going to be like after the World Cup the argument for him is going to be that we made it out of the group stage and that for him is already like a, a big deal essentially um so it's it, it's yeah the sensation of at Spain is, is just kind of mixed feelings of what what do you want essentially um, for for the Spanish thing to do because essentially again you know you're rooting for your team but knowing that if they do well that's just going to power the wrong side of this whole this whole argument. We got a bit of a glimpse of this new look Spanish team early this year when they came to Australia for the Cup of Nations tournament and the Matildas beat them quite comprehensively I'd say. What did you sort of learn? What did Spanish football maybe learn about the potential, I suppose, of, of this team, most of whom have been reselected to, to compete in the World Cup? It depends what, what, what part of Spain you're, you're saying. If you want to sure. look at the federation and that side of, of things, it's losing against one of the best in the world. And if you're looking at, if you look at 
another aspect of of Spanish football. It's you know we're not as good as as essentially um, you know the Federation of Cuarta Vida is making out to be. Um, and you kind of and again it, it's it is that mixed feeling of like do you wish you know them to to lose more to to kind of live up to the situation and kind of you know essentially not give the satisfaction to the federation of doing well or do you do you want them to do well because you know some of the players do deserve to do well um but it's you know Jorge Vida again he's not been always the the greatest manager of of players and and style of play and um essentially Spain has an X style of play because most of the players on the pitch were Barcelona players so Barcelona style of play was dominant on the Spanish national team and now that you don't have that essentially you have to kind of man manage another entirely new style and like is Jorge Vida going to be adequate for that when you know you won against the US but that was I mean if you watch the game it wasn't necessarily a convincing win in also and then you have Australia who is in a good moment that can beat Spain quite easily so is that more does that say more than them winning against the US for example and I'm saying the US is because they literally use that example all the time and it's just not it's it's not a good example and they um and essentially yeah it's like you, you don't know whether going into the World Cup I mean you even look at the group you know the, the group is going to be quite dominant but when you're does Jorge Vida know how to manage a team to play against an African side, for example, which we all know an African side has a completely different style of play. That can hurt, you know, a European more um, kind of calmer style of football. So it's essentially, you don't know what to expect in the World Cup and, and how Jorge Vida is going to be managed. Um, and the players that come in are the Barcelona players now, or is Alexia Poteas now going to be able to play the same role that she does? And if she can't, is she going to do well? It's all the questions. Just um, in terms of, we talk about windows a lot, um, Alex, in terms of your window to win a trophy. I think everyone talked about that Euros as before shit went down, right? It's like, oh, Spain, 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 Spain. Um, and then I think even early days talking about this World Cup, it was Spain, Spain, Spain. How long is the window in terms of Spain? Can you sort you, if, you, if, you're, if you're the Spanish Federation, can you sort your shit out and be a contender again in four years' time? Um or is it like a case of if they blow this, it's like players like Pateas and they're obviously getting older. I know there's a lot of talented youth coming through, but where do you sort of see Spain's window at in terms of winning those major trophies? Is it is it coming to an end? Are they going to burn a golden generation? Or is it maybe about a bit longer that they've got time to work it out? Uh, that's, no, it's, it's an interesting question as well because obviously the golden generation is now when you have, you know, essentially as we said you know Barcelona is dominating on a global perspective you know essentially they're the best team in the world right now and when you have x amount of players on the national team that standard is going to be the one driving through on the national team so again the Euros was very disappointing because you had you know some of these these best players in the world essentially and you couldn't use them correctly to, to kind of get the, the maximum potential of the team. Um, it's just like, for example, in the, in the group stage in the Euros, he used different he used a different lineup for every single game. And it's just like, you know, aren't you supposed to know what you want to be doing by now with the players that you have? And granted, you know, Alexis Poteas was absent, but it's one player and you, you didn't need to change an entire system, you know, to kind of adjust for that. As, as we saw with Barcelona, you know, they did it quite seamlessly essentially and 
it's those details that you would say this might have been the golden generation but at the same time you see all the youth national teams um of spain they're winning the euros they're winning the world cup you know these players are playing elite football already you see salma Abuelo, for example vicky lopez um 16 17 years old is already you know scoring champions league goals for barcelona so the youth of the national team in spain is doing really well you know and we see it that's been going on for ages you know Adana Bonmati, Abaye, have all won um the euros together for example so you've seen that for a long time but it's it's when they get to the first team when they get to the senior national team is that when they meet up with someone that can't continue that same standard and that's essentially where the entire problem is um so it is it is a sense of you can say that spain has time to kind of build a new generation because of how good the, the generations is you know coming up but essentially is the right personnel or is is the right um the environment is it correctly done to be able to continue to harness the youth and be able to create you know a generation that can continue to challenge for trophies We've talked a lot about the players who are not going to be here for Spain, but I'd be really interested to know uh, more about the players who are, because they are still excellent players. They're still players who are fully professional. As you've mentioned, some of them have won Youth World Cups recently. So outside of sort of the big names, the Pateas, the Bonmati, people who are listening to this podcast would probably recognise, who are some other players that you really rate that you don't think the rest of the world really have been keeping an eye on? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I am a really big fan of Olga Carmona. I think you saw her at the Euros. Um, absolutely, you know, you saw her against England and she had everyone in her pocket, essentially. I think Olga Carmona is, is a very underrated player um, in, in what she does on the on as a fullback. Obviously, she plays for Real Madrid, so she doesn't have that European exposure as much as as much as Barcelona player, for example, would have on, on the world stage. But you start the Euros, you know, again, that was another tactical decision that Jorge Rila didn't necessarily nail down. He started with Leila Wahabi. Um, that wasn't, you know, she's she's good, but she isn't the best. And when he switched out to Ola Carmona, um, that just changed the, the Spanish game uh, entirely, essentially. Um, I think Claudia Sarnosa, that also is, um, is also really underrated player in the midfield. I don't think she gets to, she starts with Real Madrid, but essentially doesn't have a lot of eyes on her, especially having Car- Caroline Weir in the midfields, um, kind of where he gets out that spotlight. Um, and Imna Gavaro, I mentioned her earlier. I'm a really big fan of hers. Um, she is an outstanding, outstanding striker. And I would I would like to see how Jorge Vida loses her because there was a similar situation in the Euros with um, Amayu Sariegi, um, who was you know competing for for the Golden Boot in the league and he used her for about five minutes against England and that was it. Um, so when you have yeah it was you know it's oof, there's so many situations, um, but Imna Gavarro I would I would love to see her play a lot more. Um, she I think it was the was it the U20 World Cup, I think, recently? Um, I think last year she scored um, an absolute banger. I think it was in the final and semifinal. Um, she is, but her technical ability and her goal scoring ability is outstanding. But again, it's, is he going to use her? One, how is he going to use her? Two, 
So um, I think those three players are are kind of my ones to watch essentially at the moment. I'm going to follow up with the very obvious question for people who do only know about two names, which is Alexia Pateas. Um, very famous here in Australia because she keeps winning stuff that Sam Kerr should win in terms of uh, our public opinions over here. She's injured and she wins stuff Sam Kerr's in the running for. Um, but the, the thing is, we know she's coming off that knee, um, Alex. What are the expectations? What can she actually do in this World Cup? Because it's not been all that long since she since she came back. Um, we know how magical she can be at her best, but um, where is she at? What can she do? Yeah, it's definitely going to be another interesting one in terms of how he uses her. And I think, unfortunately, I think it could be an excuse for him not to use her, essentially. Um, obviously, with since she's come back for Barcelona, she's not been starting. Um, so she hasn't started any of the matches since she's come back for club. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, the maximum she's played is only half an hour. Um, so she's, you know, and I think that was good for her to, to not have that pressure to come back, essentially. Um, in Barcelona, you know, they, they settled down really well. So when she came back, she didn't have the pressure that we need you right now. As soon as you're as as soon as you're healthy, as we see with a lot of other players, um, so she kind of had that that ability to kind of come back at her own time with no pressure. Um, and again, she's she's not played more than than thirty minutes in an actual match. So I think now it's you know, and she looks you know she's at a hundred percent. There was that press conference um, right before the Champions League final. She's like, I'm a hundred percent. I can play ninety minutes. I can play thirty minutes. I can play sixty. Um, so now I think she is, I think we can, we can say that she's back a hundred percent in how she feels with her body and how she feels with, with playing football. Um, but now it's a matter of the medical staff at the Federation, um, which obviously becomes part of the problem of, of the entire 15. Um, it's about the medical staff and now it's about Jorge Vila of, of what he wants to do essentially. Um, if if he wants to, you know, shift the midfield because you know you do have Aitana Bonmati and Alex Poteas, which kind of formed that midfield of the Spanish national team for X amount of years now, and you know they've always been starters. So does he want to essentially have the best players on the pitch, or does he want to kind of continue what he's been doing because that team is the one that that beat the US? Um, so now it's it's about that. But in terms of Alexia with the knee, she's one hundred percent ready to go. Just like hypothetically, if Jorge was to get really bad gastro and he like couldn't get on the plane to come to Australia, are there people in the wings who would be able like who would be able to do a good job? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I think yeah, it, part of this whole thing as well is like okay, so he's not very good at this evidently, but yeah that's also taking opportunity away from someone who who could really you know harness the talent of this team anyway that's just there is a question in there but I'm I'm just sorry I'm just I'm angry I've been manifesting or thinking of like harmless but effective ways to answer your question with a third secret option which seems to be gastro anyway so so if Jorge Vida does get gastro we know we know what the source the source was <laughs> I just got a mysterious holiday <laughs> in the middle of yeah, July. Just, we we don't I know. Can, I can, yeah, just yeah. I'll be in Spain soon, so just let me know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's oof, it's it's a hard one as well because the staff essentially do come part of the problem 
of the entire 15 so um and when you when you hear Jorge Vida talk about that he's like I'm very happy with my staff um so sadly I think most of the staff under Jorge Vida would be kind of up to his standard which is essentially below standard of, of a lot of the players and that's the other frustrating bit is that you, you look at Spain and you look at the managers that are there right now um Natalia Arroyo is is kind of the main one and um, you know she works in TV quite a lot in in Spain and she criticizes the national team you know not in a, not in a nasty way but you know she is a very she's very close with um Jonathan Giraldes for example she does like she mirrors her you know tactics on Barcelona on Pep Guardiola so you know the the football mind that she has is is quite big and she spends the entire time on TV, you know, criticizing the the national team again, not in a bad way, just like breaking down what can be made, what can't be. Um, you have Maria Pri, for example. You have, you know, Levante is now going to to another, you know, Champions League qualification. You have uh, Natera Arroyo is the Real Sociedad manager. So the the frustrating bit is is essentially down to that problem is that you have so many talented Spanish managers in Spain managing the league that would essentially be interested in this job but a the federation wouldn't do it b would they want to go to federation in the state that it is now um so essentially if Jorge Vida does get gastritis or or something in in the, the vicinity of his stomach um I don't think it would change as much sadly um but it would be nice to see another face on the bench Alex, is the vibe with this Spanish team come the group stage? Um, it's like there's Costa Rica and there's Zambia. Is it? Does it feel like it really does come down to that Japan game, third up, top place in the group? Is that the expectation that it, you you get out of the group, you top two, and it's really going for it with Japan for that last spot? Who are historically very, 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 very good tournament performers, um, and maybe cop losses that you don't expect in friendlies, but when the big stuff happens, they show up. Yeah, I think I think it's quite evident that when Spain got this group, um, everyone's quite confident that Spain would actually get out of group, because obviously with with when the draw happened and the state that of the national team is, it was really a big question mark as to what was happened. So, if Spain would have gotten in a harder group, you know the the questions would have been like we're not going to get out of the group. Um, but since the group is is essentially you know with I'm going to say to not sound worse than what it is but with essentially national teams that are much less ranking than Spain um you're you know that confidence is going to come quite naturally whether you you want to be conscious of it or not um so I think Japan is would be kind of the the big go-to match but with the way that Spain are right now I think they're going to be confident in that as well and I don't know whether that's going to be part of a certain arrogance that you get from you know the federation that they can beat anyone in the world because they beat the US. I'm going to keep repeating that for the entire episode. Um, and I, I actually don't know how much they're studying because Jorge Vida keeps saying that it's going to be summer in Australia because they want to, when they want to play, it was summer. So he said that they want to play in Australia to acclimatize to, to the weather. Does he know they go to New Zealand? Um, so I don't know whether... Oh, no, I, I don't think he does. I don't... I essentially... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if if they if he doesn't know that to be honest. Um, so it's 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 you know the, the questionable bits is is does does Jorge Vida actually know that Japan is a really good 
is a really good national team in the tournament. Um, so I would be curious. I am curious to see how kind of he sets up for that. Um, if he kind of underestimates the team. Um, but yeah, I think essentially that is going to be kind of the big one. He's. We were just chatting with Phil Rollo on our New Zealand preview pod about Spain being. But is, is it Palmerston? Is that where they're based out of? Palmerston North, which is Palmerston. nowhere, <laughs> the middle of nowhere, basically. So we can take, I guess, some delight in knowing that he'll probably be surprised when he arrives in the middle of a very small town in New Zealand. Um, sorry, that's completely baffled me. I did have a question about th- this is obviously I don't know I I'm not envious of you as a fan of Spain but do you have a another nation that you'll be following closely in this World Cup to hopefully bring some some good vibes or like a yeah a team that you're re- really excited to see um yeah come tournament time yeah I've been I've been going for Germany in all my predictions um I do love Germany and I think yeah I think I have a natural affiliation with England, I think as well. But um, I think Germany, I was wearing a Germany kit in the Euros final, so you can take that as a, as a hit. But I think, yeah, Germany and England would kind of be the top two, I think. Um, I'm excited, I wouldn't say excited, I think Norway, I'm quite curious to see how they do. Um, a lot of the players have been doing well in, in club, um, I'm not too confident with Hegarisa in charge, but I am just quite obviously after the Euros and that that beating against England, um, they have a reason to kind of come back and kind of prove themselves again. So I'm quite curious to see how Norway does. And here's your tip, Alex, to take out the entire tournament. Is it Germany or do you reckon there'll be a dark horse? I've been saying Germany, so I have to stick with Germany. Yeah, I think cool. I think I have to have to be consistent. Happy is that everyone's I think so. questions? I think so. I think we've pulled an interrogation for you, Alex. Yes. <laughs> no, that was fine. But sorry. No, we can't thank you enough. Oh, sorry. Go for it. No, I was just like, I'm still, I feel like that, like the, the math meme woman, just like the the summer. Th- anyway, I'm, I, it's, I'm not getting over it. I'm not getting over it anytime soon. That's no, incredible stuff. I don't think anybody Spain's is. Spain's haunting yeah, Angela's sorry. dreams for a while. Yes, I was reading um, nightmares. This, 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 my handbook. Sorry, I'm really into little books. Anyway, and they've got like a little profile on Jorge Vilda, which is obviously this was from the 2019 World Cup before shit truly hit the fan. But they've described him as a born winner, meticulous planner, and smart strategist. Is that how you say that word? Strategist. Anyway, and I was like, oh, a meticulous planner. You don't see that in men very often. But (laughs) anyway, sorry. That on, that note, <laughs> on that note, on that a perfect place to end it. But Alex, we can't thank you enough for jumping on and basically explaining everything because yeah. there have been so many questions. So thank you so much for jumping on with us. No, thank you for having me on. That was that was brilliant. Thank you. We're stoked. Where can people find your work during the World Cup? Because I assume you will be covering it in some capacity. Yes, definitely. Um, probably Twitter and, and Instagram. Um, my Instagram link is on my Twitter, so you can just go to my Twitter. It's Alex. Um, I'm just no, Alex Ibaseta twenty three, is my Twitter, and you can go from that. 
Perfect. We will put that in the description for this episode. But thank you so much for joining us and thank you all so much for tuning in. This was Group C. We still have so many groups to go, so make sure you keep an eye out for those episodes. Listen to everything we've already published. There's literally so many podcasts you won't be bored. So thank you for tuning in. As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. Uh, you can like and subscribe to get the episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see you.